I'm Ian Wielden, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. I'm joined today by Adam Lum, the head of commercial and intellectual property at Royal Armouries. Adam is also freelance art strategy and brand consultant and a graphic novelist, painter and screenwriter. In our conversation, Adam and I talk about his roles at the National Portrait Gallery, the BBC, Wakefield Cultural Services, Museum Sheffield and Sheffield University. We also talk a little bit about mentoring, particularly Adam's relationship with Damien Whitmore, who worked on the V&A brand and how that came through an institutional partnership that existed between Museum Sheffield and the V&A. This interview took place over Zoom in April 2023 and is an edited version of a longer conversation. As always, I've put links to things we discussed into the podcast notes, so you can easily look things up if you want a bit more detail on anything. And I'd also recommend visiting Adam's website, which contains some free resources and materials that relate to our discussions around the brand iceberg. I can also highly recommend Adam's book, Brand is How We Find Each Other. I'd like to thank Adam for taking the time to talk with me about his career path so far, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Adam, and thanks for joining me. Um, Can we just start by hearing a little bit about about you and the different roles that you have at the moment? Yeah, sure. I'm Adam Lum. I guess I've got a portfolio career, is what some people would term it. I am head of commercial and intellectual property at Royal Armouries um, across the three museum sites in the UK. And uh, I'm also a, a consultant in arts more generally, particularly around growing arts organisations, around brand and um, and marketing um, and commercial. And the other part is, is as an arts practitioner, as, as an artist myself. Um, and I have been combining those three for about eight years now. Oh, wow, that's quite a lot to try and fit in. So how do you split that time down between the average working week? So from about 2014, I stepped away from exec board roles and moved down in, 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 in the organisation. So I was, I was working on, on executive level and stepped down to the, the level below that to free up some time. And at that point went four days a week in my um, role in, in museums, which gave a day a week each week to concentrate on developing my consultancy and own arts practice. So what I usually do now is work Monday to Thursday as uh, part of the senior team at um, Royal Armouries and then every Friday is freed up to develop my own projects. So so if we take the Armouries job first of all what does that look and feel like what what kind of things do you do in that role? So at the Armouries I'm responsible for two broad areas so commercial and intellectual property so if we take commercial first like a lot of museums um, the museum is a, a, a charity by by its st- structural uh, nature and then has a trading company through which we do all of our income generation and i run that basically for the for the museum so the commercial areas include our retail our so the shops across the sites uh, the e-commerce area the licensing business so we license our content to other people who want to use it uh, so publishing and tv and film we uh, work in training and development we work in uh, venue hire cafes a little bit of publishing experiences so um, crossbow ranges escape rooms um, i think that's everything in the commercial bit and then on the intellectual property side that's not a commercial role but that's uh, i have overall responsibility for maximizing the value to the organization of the intellectual property that we hold so um, that's about the collections but it's also about the the marketing assets we make the um, products we develop for retail and publishing so it's looking after that that whole sort of gamut of um, um, intellectual property and how we use that for best effect for the organization not just in terms of commercial value but to, to further the museum's aims both of those two areas must have changed enormously over the last few years, I guess on one hand you've got 
issues around what's happened with the pandemic and income generation. Uh, and I guess the other side of it, I, I'm saying this from fairly ignorant perspective here, but I would imagine with the, this kind of golden age of TV and the types of TV that might be happening, that that interest in, in, in that kind of material that you have might have spiked a little bit. Yeah, that's that that's a really astute way of looking at it, actually. And so in terms of um, the commercial pressures on public sector cultural organisations, yes, of course, the, the importance of their trading arms has gone up and up. But equally, during the pandemic, left them very vulnerable because suddenly the tap was turned off and we saw what happened to some of the national museums. They, they had huge problems where it was a substantial chunk of their income had, had been cut off um, because they had to close everything. We were fortunate at Royal Armouries to be able to weather that storm. But in terms of the change of intellectual property and content, you're absolutely right. The the way that we traditionally looked at content was around our picture library business and how we sold that into publishing and so on and so forth. But actually what, what I've done is to reposition us as a content provider more generally so we consult on yeah. films and video games and uh, as well as providing content to traditional publishing. So you're absolutely right. Out of the pandemic, the content providers did very well because everyone was shut in. <laughs> and um, we are a provider to the content industry. Um, and and so, yes, there's a, a, there's a continuing growth in that. And also, I think because Royal Armouries has a particular, given the nature of the collection, it lends itself to working with the gaming industry because there's an appetite for, for working in that way which um, some other museums wouldn't be able to access in quite the same way. So it's, it's a really interesting, challenging landscape for sort of content and how, how museums could work with um, uh, the, the wider creative industries. Yeah, so, so you've got the armories element to your, your work. That's four days a week, your Monday to Thursday. And then what do you do on the other day? What does that look and feel like? So, so the other day is, is spent doing um, both consultancy and my own arts practice. So on the consultancy side, um, the, the area of interest uh, is in um, helping org cultural organisations grow, basically, largely through um, brand work and marketing, um, but any strategic work about getting under the skin of what the problem is for an organization and um and making that change so the book that i wrote about about brand um which i think i've, I've shared with yes, you yes thank you brand is how we find each other um uh is is quite that that title's very deliberate that brand is how we find each other focuses us on the the the, the problem we're actually trying to deal with um and get to the sort of heart of that so a lot of the work is how do we find the audience for what we do as cultural professionals um, and vice versa? How do we match that up? So a lot of the work's around that and that, so I do bits of consultancy and writing around that area with, with clients. And then the other part is my own arts practice. So I'm a, a painter, screenwriter and illustrator, particularly in the field of comics and graphic novels and that kind of thing. So um, that's varies how I choose to use that Friday depending on client yeah. work or my own work or projects uh, but it, it, it's an interesting sort of balance with the uh, museum world. Yeah it's quite a lot to fit in you one day there. <laughs> yes yeah don't do it all you don't do all of it every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so is that I'm, I'm kind of interested in the artistic practice bit because you know a lot of people I think they have this five day a week career and then they do this other stuff at weekends or evenings and for a lot of people that stuff gets squeezed especially as they take more responsibility on at work and the role the position that it plays whether it's escapism or whether it's there's an ambition that's attached to it becomes I think quite muddy and messy but is that something that you've tried to ring fence throughout your career and and is that something that you've managed to ring fence if that's the case? I uh, I think I've, I've kept I've kept the two things quite separate but also I think perhaps like a lot of people in the cultural sector and a, a lot of people I've worked with do have an interest as a practitioner as well as a, um, a manager or a professional within the sector and uh, I think that was what drew me into um, working in the cultural sector and um, I, I like working with art um, uh, but in terms of my own work it wasn't until 2014 that I started to bring that on 
on online alongside my other work. And the only way I could do that to protect that space was to say, I've already had a career to the senior point within the cultural sector. How can I do that so that I can pursue my own passions alongside that? And the answer is by carving out that time in, in a different way. And that, that's, that's hard to do. I, I, was, I was at the point where I had the negotiating power to do that. But I think yeah. that could be hard to, to do that, especially if you're trying to balance that with a, a lower income part-time job or something like that. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I was, I'm, in a, I'm in a privileged position to have got to the point where I can carve out distinct time for different things. And I, okay. I know I'm really lucky to be able to do that. So, the, I think the obvious question then from my perspective is, is this the kind of work that you'd imagine doing when you were at school or when, when you were thinking about possible careers when you first started? I think it's a it's it's a really good question and I'm, I'm thinking about potentially your your listeners and trying to navigate where do I go with <laughs> with my career when you're sort of starting out um uh I knew that I wanted to work in cultural sector for definite um once I was at university doing a cultural degree um but I didn't have absolute clarity until uh, the second year of my degree and I've had a very adaptable degree which was very good which is it allowed you to to, um, to follow your passions and your interests and choose modules accordingly as you navigated through and that was incredibly helpful to to make those great decisions and um, what I uh, so I went to originally I went to university to do teaching having worked in retail for a couple of years after school thought I don't want to work full-time in retail although I now run retail, but um, I didn't want to work in, in retail full time. Um, went to go and do teaching degree, realised after a couple of weeks, I don't want to teach in, 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 in primary education, which is what I was studying. Um, and then in my second year, uh, realised what I wanted to do. And I remember the sort of pivotal moment for me was, I remember seeing an advert for a company, which some of you may know, which is Games Workshop, um, which is a huge, um, um, gaming company now, a huge PLC, um, but we're talking probably mid-90s at this point. They weren't a huge company, but what they were looking for in a job advert that I'd seen was someone to work with artists coordinating the artwork. And I thought at that point, I am not good enough as an illustrator, to, nor do I want to sit in a room by myself all day painting. Um, but the idea of working with um, other people to coordinate that artwork and the needs of the company, I thought that that's interesting. Not that I wanted to apply to Games Workshop, and I didn't. But what what it said was, ah, oh, there's a job out there that is coordinating the work of other artists, and I thought that that's really interesting. I didn't know that was a job. Um, what that then led to was, oh, there's such a things as picture libraries and art agencies and a whole industry that people don't aren't aware of that is totally about that. Um, at that point, I thought this is that's what I want to do. So in the, my third year at university, I then thought, I'm going to need some experience. The degree is not going to do it by itself. Managed to get a job in the slide library, which um, sounds really antiquated now because we don't use 35 mil slides in universities now so much. Um, but um, at that pre-digital point, that's what, that's what there was, um, very much an analog approach. But that job got me into being able to apply straight out of university um, with a media uh, arts, arts and manage, management degree and the, uh, that experience allowed me to apply into the big picture libraries in London. And it happened that I got into National Portrait Gallery's picture library, doing exactly what I wanted to do, which I was so passionate about, being able to coordinate uh, the, the, the work to work between artists and publishers and so on and so forth. So, so that's kind of my career journey into the sector. Um, but it's, it's an accident that I ended up in a museum. I could have ended up in a private picture library. And was there a connection there between the, the work that you were doing in the third year at university and and the National Portrait Gallery? So were there any connections with staff or anything or was it just a, saw the job and applied for it and was, was fortunate enough to get no it? No connections at all. Um, uh, yeah, completely um, saw the job and applied for it and very grateful that someone gave me the chance to do that. And I think, and I'm still in touch with the person that gave me that, that job, I think I, I appeared passionate but I also had taken the steps to get the experience because it's a junior entry role. But if I hadn't 
gone and got some slide library experience it would have been yeah you've got a degree but so have lots of other people I had to have that extra bit to kind of go okay this person's committed and passionate and wants to do this so and just out of interest what were your peers at that point what kinds of things did um, they go on to do from that arts management degree were you a kind of outlier in in moving towards the picture library at the National Portrait Gallery or was that um initially yeah I, I got in fast which was which was good so so uh, I think within two months of finishing my degree I'd got my job which was lucky and I took all the gambles I'm just going to move to London and hope I get a job and did and if I hadn't that might have gone differently so um, but so, so there's a calculated risk but equally if I hadn't done that experience to get into it I wouldn't it wouldn't have happened but there's always an element of luck I think a lot of my um, friends immediately afterwards were getting bar jobs or other jobs because they just needed to get something to, to pay the way um, most of those that I'm still in touch with now though are very very senior in um, related fields so maybe not directly arts but um, public relations web design so they've they've all done it but they've done it in a different a different way um, um, but I do know that um, the year after me that someone from the year below me then ended up at the National Portrait Gallery as well so there was obviously some good um, vocational thought coming out of the university at that point yeah well you obviously laid laid the groundwork for them to look at graduates. Don't, from don't think it had anything well. to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of work were you doing at the Portrait Gallery? What what did that job entail? What kind of work are you doing? So so I worked as a picture librarian, um, which uh, for those that don't know, and the, obviously the industry has changed a lot as, as, um, as we've gone from uh, analog to, to digital. So so at the point that I started, um, picture libraries, essentially the role of a picture library is to um, find content and provide content to media partners. So um, people might now be familiar with the big ones like Getty, uh, Getty Images or it's Getty now, and previously uh, Corbis, who have now been absorbed and represented by Getty via China in a convoluted way. Um, but Corbis was um, Bill Gates' company of Microsoft. So the the, what was going on at that time around around content was picture libraries were an analog way of, of getting content to publishers and then everything got digitized of course so at the time i was there which was late 90s we were going through the dot-com boom bust as well and looking at how we transform content digitally so my role was to larger libraries split these up into different roles but in a smaller one you're um, speaking to clients about what their needs are researching content from the collection providing that content to them traditionally transparencies um, in an analog way now obviously digitally and uh, and making sure they've got what, what they need and reproducing all the prints and transparencies that they're doing arranging photography within the organization and then as things go digital you're also then sort of thinking about how you keyword images so people can find them um, when they look them up online and so on and so forth so that role which i was there for about five years for um uh, was was exactly that working with a team of about I think six of us something like that and at that point in time that was where most of the trading income came from for the um for the national portrait gallery that was bigger than retail at that point it was a, a huge activity so you're there for five years and where did you go after that? What made you look for another challenge or did something just pop up that you like the look of? Uh, no, I think I'd, I'd probably outgrown that role and was interested in moving into marketing and also was wanting to move back up north at some point. So I wanted the, the, the issue with picture libraries, especially at that time, was, um, yes, I'd moved to London because that's where the entire industry was in the UK, pretty much, apart from a few outliers. Yeah. Um, um, and at that point, you're still putting transparencies on a bike across London for <laughs> in a pre-digital age, which seems daft now, but that is what was going on. So I was wanting to move back up north and thought, well, I, the entire industry that I'm in is in London. I'm never going to be able to leave. So I need to diversify and move into marketing so that that, that might open some doors for me. Um, so in order to do that, and because I hadn't got a marketing degree at that point, I had to take a sidestep, so went to BBC, BBC Motion Gallery, which was the BBC's motion digital project. And it's effectively their footage library to sell to um, clients all around the world, to sell resell BBC content from the BBC's archives into other programmes and, and 
advertising and all sorts of things. So I moved across there and worked in a marketing role there at a time where this, so this was 2002, BBC was moving everything from analog to digital and we launched BBC Motion Gallery, which uh, is now represented by Getty, but effectively was the BBC's entire motion platform for buying and selling content um, online. But that allowed me to take a step sideways into marketing and that's op that opened up the doors. That must have been quite an exciting time that move from analog to digital. You know, there's no precedence for that stuff. So did you have to do any additional training or was it just everybody finding their way as they went? Was there, was there any retraining there, required? There was, there was lots of training and BBC was very good at giving training access to understanding um, digital formats and things like that, um, which, which was great. Um, but it was very, very much pioneering stuff at that time. Um, and um, uh, I remember the conversations that were going on, which sound ridiculous now, which is what if people don't switch to broadband from dial up? And of course, that just seems absolutely ridiculous now. But that was a genuine issue in 2002. And the answer is no, of course, all businesses were transitioning to broadband, but it was being ready to, to catch and have content that could stream at that, yeah. that, that speed. So, so yeah, um, very strange time. But now when you look back, it's just like, well, of course, that was going to work. So um, you, you were still wanting to get out of London at this point by the, by the sound of it. So how long were you at the BBC for? I think I was at the BBC for about... 18 months to two years, something like that. Okay. So this was around 2004. And at that point, I decided that um, my wife and I, we, we wanted to move back to, to Yorkshire. Um, so we just were both looking for work and she worked in National Portrait Gallery as well. And both looking for work and thought, right, whoever gets a job up north, take it. And the other one can find a job when we get there. We're just going to just go for right. it. Um, but obviously you, you've, got to, you've got to earn enough money to, to do that for both of you and take that gamble. Although it's easier going north and it's trying to do that going south in terms yeah. of uh, London costs yep. so that was the big gamble and at that point I had decided written, written myself a sort of five-year plan and I wanted to be on an executive marketing executive board marketing role within um, by the time I was 30 so um, I was looking for roles that would get me there um, but again there's an element of luck with all these things. That's quite a clear ambition though to have a five-year plan to get to an exec level so that's quite a, a drive there yeah, I think I was very ambitious in my 20s. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I was lucky that, that that worked. But again, it was um, uh, looking for marketing roles at a senior level. Uh, I had to have to move sideways to, to get that marketing experience. Um, and then and then I was able to get a marketing job in Wakefield um, for the arts and heritage cultural uh, sector there and castles and looked after their um, audience and marketing. Um, not at executive level, but the level below that. And, uh, but it was a solid move into a marketing in the cultural sector. And obviously out of that worked on the early stages of Hepworth and, and things like that, which was a, a interesting. Yeah, again, an exciting time, just in a completely different way. So it's that period of, or towards the end of the period of, of big capital builds that were, I guess was happening yeah. here in the UK. Yep, when the European money's still coming yeah. in to do sort of re big redevelopment. Yeah. So were you working with multiple organisations at that point in that role? Well, um, in, in Wakefield, Wakefield um, Council ran, ran that at that time across. So uh, I think there were nine venues, two castles, several museums, um, because it's a big district and um, and galleries as well, and then and then out of that span, um, Hepworth, which was the what was the art gallery, became a separate trust. Um, although I'd left long after um, that process was completed, but at the time I was there, that was that was being developed. Um, so it was all being run through the council. But yeah, very much some of those conversations were about capital projects, redevelopment, what that would do for the city, that kind of. Um, place making and change agenda as part of a white as culture as a wider spectrum of, of regeneration of the of the city and the region so how long were you at, at wakefield for really really short amount of time i think i was there for about eight months um so concentrated on getting getting visitor numbers up which which we did and then a job opportunity came up on the executive team at sheffield and uh, I joined there as as reporting to the chief exec on 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 marketing basically, 
uh, marketing and communications. So, and, and that was just as I was kind of hitting 30, which is what I wanted to do. So that was, that was by the nip of it sort of thing. So. <laughs> so what did that job look like? What kinds of things were you doing there? Uh, that that was an amazing job. So uh, Sheffield Museums has a number of um, museums and galleries across the city. And uh, the main piece of work that I did there was to rebrand the organisation. So we transformed to become Museum Sheffield. Um, uh, visitor numbers went from half a million to over a million in the time that I was there. And we used a number of big blockbuster exhibitions like Vivian Westwood from the V&A, to, to reposition us and, and place us uh, as part of the sort of city regen aspects. Again, that's an important part of culture in the city and how, how you use that, um, but also just to be able to grow the, the organization to a point where it could to sustain that, that um, what was a large expanding team and, and multiple sites. Of course, now they, they've actually absorbed the industrial trust um, more recently so they're even bigger organization now in terms of the number of properties they've got but also at the time i was there which was mm, 2005 to 2008 um, and then i left in 2008 which of course was when the big financial crash happened um, and um, well we, we all saw what that did to the sector for yeah. those of us that were around at that point and so we had a huge period of growth and then I left the sector at that point and joined uh, your world um, in universities um, for a number of years so but that was an amazing job it's really great to just transform transform an organization and get it to grow to that so that there must have been you, know, you talked about the exhibitions that you were working on kind of around that period and blockbusters so how important is networking and that communication with different parts of the sector with other organizations in, in in that work that you were doing at that time well to answer in terms of exhibitions which wasn't my area so so again the the structure of sheffield like a lot of places there, there's marketing communications there was exhibitions there was curators um and there was commercial and so you've got all these different areas operations visitor services there's so many different areas within that in terms of exhibitions i think there's a huge amount of networking that has to go on because you're looking for content all the time and that isn't my specialist area but uh, uh, the colleagues that work in that area you do need to be on the lookout for content because you're going to have to find that whether you're creating it your own or or um, partnering with others to develop loans and interloans between organizations um, and exhibitions touring exhibitions um uh, in terms of my bit, so as marketing communications, um, uh, I had a wider role across, um, again, this was funded when there was funding for these things, across the uh, across Yorkshire. So I was working as leading communications across the five big museum services in in Yorkshire at that time, because there was a kind of a, a sort of confederation of them as part of... Um, uh, the renaissance program so um so uh, yes yeah, sheffield leeds bradford york who else was there Hull. so um so was um coordinating comms more generally around that as a group of museums across a very yorkshire being as large as it is so there is a network there that existed between the, the communication professionals across that network so so how long are you there for um f about four years okay and and what what was the university role that you did uh, so university, I was head of brand and marketing at uh, University of Sheffield. So um, effectively, I was responsible for their brand globally and their, their brand and reputation, effectively. And in terms of the marketing, some of it was about student stuff in terms of attracting students, um, but also relationship for the the university to the city and the role it plays in the city, and and also the other areas, so um, attracting research and commercial partners to work with the, the organisation. So it's a broad sort of corporate marketing role across the organisation. So, so what made you make the jump from the cultural sector or working with cultural organisations towards marketing? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing somewhere around 2008 is probably a critical part of that in terms of availability of funding and what the future of the sector looked like yeah. after the crash. Completely. Um, money is the main answer to that question, right. um, uh, which is we were in a financial crash in the UK. 
I had a young family and the salary is, is, is quite frankly, is, is higher in the university world than it is in many uh, museum and cultural organisations for this parallel experience. So it was a money-based decision. And, and I do, I love working in the cultural sector, but that is one of the challenges of working in the public cultural sector sort of thing. So um, uh, the answer to that is money. Yeah, it's a, it was a really difficult period, I think, for for a lot of organisations there. See, so you'd work work with the university, and were you were you looking to come back to the cultural sector, or was it was there a plan to come back to the cultural sector, or did you just kind of want to see how things unfolded? Um, I didn't know if I would want to come back to the cultural sector, but I did. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. I missed it, and. And that's challenging because actually you can earn more money in other sectors, even universities, um, uh, you can earn more money. But um, I did miss working directly in cultural organisations and so started to, to look for exactly that. Kit, can you put your finger on what you missed about it? I think I like the, the fact that I liked... It probably goes back to why I wanted to work with art in the first place and coordinate art with other artists and so on and so forth is I like it that the product and service is cultural in its nature and so is education but it's different and and also there are lots of different roles as you know in in universities which is um, uh, you can work in the cultural sector within universities but when you're head of corporate brand there's 41 departments at the University of Sheffield, not all of them are cultural. And um, so there's a huge, huge array of stuff. And actually my passion is, is in culture. So I actually, I like working with cultural product and service, whereas I'm less interested in, in working with any of the other 41 departments that a university might, might, might have. Yeah. Universities are an interesting place to work. There's a, a, lot, of, a lot of moving parts and a lot of different motives a lot of different units departments all with quite different approaches to things which I, I would imagine as head of brand and marketing that's quite a, a challenge so throughout this period there and I'm, I think I'm particularly interested in um, your ambition to, to land an exec role did you have any mentoring or did you have connection with other people that had, that had reached that level throughout this period I didn't I didn't to land it but I did have a mentor and I'll come back to him. I think what what spurred, I remember at BBC, what spurred me to move into a management career more generally from, from a more junior one was looking around and going, I'd do that differently. I think I could solve that problem. And I think that was the the sort of catalyst for, for wanting to do it. Because not everyone wants to manage. There's all sorts of other stuff that goes with that that you might not want to do. Um, but um, it was just like, I think I could do that and I think I could do it well and I think I could do, make different decisions that would help us grow. And I remember at the BBC, I was, which I was really lucky to be able to do, that um, I did a 360-degree appraisal, which if people aren't familiar with that listening... Um, uh, it's like any other appraisal, except that you don't just get appraised by your boss. You get appraised by, usually, if you're already a manager, those people that work for you, your colleagues and peers on the same level as you, as well as your boss. So you got a, literally a, a feedback from everyone. Um, now, that was it was really generous of the organisation to offer me that because I wasn't a manager at that point. So I, I couldn't really get upward appraisal, but I could get lots of peer feedback and others. And... Doing that was really useful because it can it can be really traumatizing if you if you what you think of yourself is not what you get as feedback. <laughs> but actually, what was really good was the feedback was you know what you should you're doing you should just do it and that gave me the little confidence kick that I needed to to put myself forward. So so I did that and that that kind of progressed into the more senior roles. But then in terms of mentoring, because I'd reached a senior level at a relatively young age, I thought well. I'm at the top of my organisation now, but I but I don't I don't know everything, <laughs> and 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 what what else do I need to know? So actually, I got mentored and arranged to be mentored by uh, Damien Whitmore, who was um, director of uh, now I can't remember his exact title. He's probably director of of effectively he's a director of brand, but that wasn't his job title at the V&A. And previously, he'd done the brand transformation at Tate, um, and that was me thinking I 
I'm I'm at the top of my tree within within a regional museum, but I don't know everything I need to know. I need to know someone that's that's trod, trod it before. So um, uh, so I can't remember how long Damien mentored me, but that really helped me because it just gave me that who because I've run some ideas parts people and stuff to do that and. From doing that, that allowed me to grow as a as someone that's that's interested in developing brands in cultural sectors, and um, so that was a huge help to have that that mentoring relationship. What kind of work did you do? Was that just meeting up every so often and talking about potential issues, or were there any residential things or trips or? It, it was um, uh, it was me it was meeting up and it was relatively informal because you can get mentoring programs of course that are quite well structured and and um, ours was much more informal than that, um, but it did involve. Um, uh, so me, me going to V&A to meet with Damien or Damien coming up for us having lunch up in Sheffield or, or, or whatever to just chew the fat and talk about things and, and run ideas past um, him and, and just to explore. And I think sometimes that's quite good to have that outside of your own organisation to just get a different perspective on it. Um, and also with no one, someone who's got no skin in the game in terms of that your organization is just to be able to just go what do you think about this is this nuts or is this is this they be able to do that so it's quite informal but really useful to just be able to go someone's already been there and i can test out those ideas and, and did you set that up yourself or was there a third party involved in negotiating that uh no i i set that up myself because again there are there are quite a lot of good programs run by 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 arts organisations that kind of do the matchmaking type stuff for you. So there wasn't a previous contact directly with him, so it was, a, I guess, a cold call in a way where you'd kind of done your homework and then connected? It, it was. I, I can think about how we found it now, actually, because um, uh, although Damien wasn't known to people, the V&A was in partnership with Sheffield. So there was a partnership there, and using that we could then say, can can we ask a question and 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 so that's that was the way into it was um not damien specifically but the partnership with between the organizations that's how that that came about yeah so i guess the other thing that i'm really interested in is is there's a slightly inverted way of working which is you went to london and then went out to regional which most of the time it tends to work the other way which is where people get to executive level in a regional organization and then they move to a national you know if, if they if they have that level of ambition there so i'm interested just to dig into your decision to move because i think that that's quite important for a lot of people to it's a brave thing to move for for jobs the 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 move to london or the move back or well i i guess both i i guess the question is um, you know, are you happy to move for for roles if they're appropriate? And has that changed throughout your career? Generally, not. I've moved twice, <laughs> and those 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 are the big sort of pivot points. So the um, uh, completing your degree and thinking I need a job and a career. So that was the first big move to London. But the alternative, were, well, I suppose there's lots of alternative. So, um, but. Um, uh, it's it, it's a it's a risk and a gamble but i knew the sector i wanted to work in so it's just like well it's in london it's not it's not here so i might have been able to do something else but if, it, if i wanted to work in that then that's where it was so so i had to go and work in picture libraries in london because that's where 99 percent of them were and um, the move back having lived in london and london's a lot of fun in your 20s but actually in terms of cost of living in terms of housing prices in terms of wanting to have a family at that point and working in the arts and um, that move back was about um, where my wife and I wanted to live and, and have children and, and, and all those kind of bits. Um, but those are the only two moves and uh, that I've done. So um, so I, I don't move a lot for arts. It's kind of those life changing moments that I've that I've done those two moves, but I haven't moved since um, uh, to, for a role. So just to return then to your your progression. So you were at the university of Sheffield and we kind of talked about thinking about a return to the cultural sector what what happened after that? Uh, so after the university I started the freelance business but then I also uh, went back to a cultural exec role so I was director of uh, marketing communication for what was called West Yorkshire Playhouse now Leeds Playhouse so Theatre World so working my way around museums, 
TV, <laughs> film and, and, and then theatre. So that role was um, similar to the role at Sheffield um, uh, for the museums, but for, for the theatre. Uh, so I was responsible for marketing communications across uh, box office, so this, the sales of the, the theatre product itself, but also developing the marketing for the commercial businesses, so venue hire and uh, the cafe area there and our sort of education progress, so prom- promoting, promoting all, of, all of those aspects and looking at the brand. And that was an intensely busy, focused growth period. I think we went from something like 1.2 to 1.7 million at box office in a year, um, year on year growth, so incredibly busy, but back in the sector. And that was, that was an important sort of decision to different parts of the sector, but back in the cultural sector. So, so with the, the, those kinds of roles, the director of marketing and communication, do you, uh, how does that work? Are you sometimes just responding to programming that's happening or are you m- making a, an active effort to be involved in the actual programming of content there with a view to um, appealing to particular audiences and kind of thinking very carefully about how you can improve rather than just that straightforward responding? That is a brilliant question um, because the answer can be either of those depending on your organisation um, and I'm sure that comes up a lot when you're looking at the cultural sector more generally so you you absolutely can start with the audience and find product for that audience or you can have products and have to go and find the audience for it and there are pros and cons to both and obviously a lot of the, what we borrow from the commercial world of marketing they would quite often start with the audience rather than the product um, but we we've also got cultural product that we're making for other reasons that are not commercial so it can come in either way and I think one of the reasons that I created the um, marketing iceberg which is in the in the book which I, I know you can't show visually on a podcast but essentially if you uh, imagine um, that um, marketing isn't is like an iceberg um, the bit that everyone thinks about in terms of marketing is the stuff you see above the waterline, which is the communications, the tip of the iceberg. So you see what people are talking about, you see the campaigns and so on and so forth. What sits below that sort of imaginary waterline of the iceberg is the offer. So the, the what, what it is you're actually offering, the proposition. So whether it be um, a, a theatre play or an exhibition or whatever that is, um, but what you're actually offering to to the public and then what sits below that is the research and insight that informs it. So um, the way I tend to think about it is you can kind of start anywhere on there as long as the piece is aligned. So as long as your comms that you're doing uh, aligns to what you're offering and aligns to the research that you did about what audiences want, then it will work. It's when it's not aligned that it's problematic. So in terms of um, answering your question about um, which bit you get involved in, if the organisation is, we've got this product, we want you to go and sell it to audiences, it needs to align to what they want and what they desire and, and in order for that to work. Or it can flip it the other way around and have a conversation which is, right, we really want to attract this particular audience, what sort of thing would appeal to them, and again, align it that way. So it can go either way around, and I've worked for different organisations. Some want that involvement in in insight-led uh, approach to understanding audiences and then finding stuff for them, um, and some want to sell what they want to sell. And uh, they're both valid approaches, um, but they they change how much you can grow because clearly if you pick something that's a huge mass market and you find something for that mass market, then the limit is the size of the market that you've put. If you start with the what you want to sell, it's as big as the market you can find for what you want to sell. So it depends which way you want to go. Um, and both, both valid approaches, but they're, they're different. Is, is that an ongoing tension in the different roles that you've had? Because it, it feels like the different roles have always been kind of at a time where there's a change of some description happening. I mean, I know that's often the case within cultural, uh, the cultural sector, but one of the skills that you must have developed is about trying to bring people with you to understand the next piece of the jigsaw. So whether, whether it be moving to digital or whether it be a, a better, more sophisticated understanding of the audiences that exist there or the communication techniques. Is, is that, is that, would that be an accurate way of 
talking about that. Well, there can yeah, there can be a there can be a tension in that, and it does depend what the organisation wants. I think when I was younger, as a marketeer, I would I would always favour the audience led approach. I think now I'm older, I kind of see both sides of the 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 argument. Um, ultimately, and, and I think this is what I do a lot now, in from a strategic point of view, is well, what do you want to achieve? And and that's that's the key bit is for for, for that executive, for that for that chief executive of any organisation that's the leading arts organisation. Um, what do you want to achieve? What do your stakeholders want to achieve in your board? Um, what sort of organisation do you want to be? And and then you work with with that to, to look at the way you, you look at people. And I think a huge area of interest for me is, and why I'm interested in brand, is, is about organisational development and the organisation, how it's structured and the sort of values the organisation has is massively important. Because you're right, if there's, if there's dissonance within that, it tends to just fight itself and you, you don't you don't get that progress that you want. I can imagine, you know, some of the initiatives that are introduced which might be financial necessities in some of these different organizations create tension in, you know, is that does this feel like it's a distraction from some of the other core work or work that traditionally has been core uh, in an organization that might be in you know in flux or in Yes, I think um, I mean there's, so there's aside from the um marketing audience versus product service discussion you're right in terms of the commercial bit we've we've have a tension in in um, museums in the or cultural sector in the uk public funded culture in the uk which is almost all have a trading dimension of income because they wouldn't be able to exist just purely off their they're granted aid, which is always being crushed down, as we know, and that's a that's a common conversation, isn't it? It's getting squeezed and squeezed. Um, so there's always that trading that trading component. So that can create tension within the organisation. I think most organisations I've worked for have recognised that, that 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 commercial income is needed because it pays to keep everything going, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't it doesn't work otherwise. But I think the other bit is it is possible to align the trading work to the vision so um of the organization what you're trying to achieve so um the for example having having a cafe and a retail experience within most museums is considered to be part of the experience of the museum offer and it's like it's 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 all of that plus the exhibition that you see that becomes your experience and um, so the fact that it's done for commercial reasons is true it helps pay for that but it's also part of your day out so it becomes a sort of wider conversation um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't ever sort of dissonance between competing priorities within an organization I think there is. You were working at uh, the Playhouse and then you'd started to go freelance what what, what happened after that? So uh, that was the time where I then thought I want to drop to four days so in order to make this happen. So I um, applied for a job at Royal Armouries at that point. Um, and that was a move again. So obviously I'd started in picture libraries and commercial picture libraries at National Portrait Gallery, then sidestepped into marketing, then worked my way up to the top, as it were, in terms of the marketing career. And then the move to Royal Armouries was actually a step down in terms of in terms of within the uh, hierarchy of the organization it was a step down and a step sideways so i've moved down from marketing and across into commercial which is where i started in picture library so a commercial role but the deal that i was able to do at that point was yeah i'll i'll do this job but i'd like to do it on four days a week and i was able to negotiate that which was great because it was just like suddenly um I had capacity <laughs> to, to start to pursue other things and also capacity in terms of the four days a week I was doing was a different level so you, as you're moving up you're kind of you're learning new things and it's become a struggle it wasn't as much of a struggle because I'd, I'd gone down and sideways so uh, that meant that I wasn't under intense pressure in my four days and I'd created some capacity to, to think outside of that. So I think it'd be very hard if you're trying to just absorb a new job and stuff and try and do something on the side. What next, what are you working on at the moment in these two roles, the armories and the freelance work and, and what does the future look like? So in terms of the armories, um, we're 
we're looking at trying to grow substantially over the next five years. And I, I think the point you made earlier about content is going to be an interesting one for, for where we're going. We're, we're, we're rapidly expanding that work with content um, uh, agencies and e-commerce has exploded partly because of we, we prepped for it just before we went into the pandemic. We were switching over, so we were able to turn the tap on. Um, but that has been a significant growth area. So I think those areas will continue to grow. In my private work, I'm focused on helping organisations grow. And I think that's the big thing for me is having done this for 20 odd years now, what what the itch the itch that I have to scratch as it were or the thing that sort of almost upsets me about our sector is seeing us not grow audiences or seeing organizations not make progress or seeing the fact that we've been working in audience development for years but actually how much more diversity have we got in the in our sector how much uh, or have we largely got the same audiences coming and it that makes me think I want to help thought that because it, it's it's sad to see it sort of not progressing uh, uh, as, as much as I might like. So I think the, the main bit I want to concentrate on in terms of that private work is helping organisations to stand back from um, what they're doing and consider strategically what, what they're trying to do because you can get a bit sort of lost in stuff um, and and help them to, to, to get to grips with that and help them to, to grow that. Um, I think that's probably the, the main focus. Um, and then arts-wise, um, uh, I've got an, another graphic novel that's just come out um, and um, uh, uh, doing screenwriting and working on other bits and pieces of illustration, which is just great to do along, alongside all of this. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Adam. I really appreciate you carving out a, a couple of hours for me this morning. That's fantastic. And good luck in the future. Thanks very much. Brilliant, Ian. Thank you. I've, re I've really enjoyed having a chat. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 